Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. What do the following names have in common? Larry King, Betty White, DMX, Prince Philip, Hank Aaron, John Madden, Eric Carl, Colin Powell, and last but not least, Bernie Madoff. Probably the only thing at all that those names could have in common is that they were on the list of notable deaths in 2021. Just like the list of names that you could pick up from notable deaths in 2020, names like Diego Maradona, Eddie Van Halen, Alex Trebek, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Kobe Bryant, Regis Philbin, Herman Cain, John Lewis, and Kenny Rogers. And of course, there are more. Some of those names, when I said them to you, didn't affect you at all. If you're under the age of 20, some of you are thinking, Regis who? (laughs) We'll tell you later. Some of those names didn't affect you. You might not know who they are, but some of those names of famous people who died, when news got out and it reached your ears, it it may have affected you. you. You may even have been so affected that it stopped you in your tracks. You remember where you were and exactly what you were doing And there's just a suddenness to it, an impact, an influence that led you to just stop. I remember, at least for one of those people, when I heard about Kobe Bryant dying, just thinking, wow, how sudden that was, stopped me in my tracks. Death has a way of of doing that for us. And when you look at lists like that, it leads us to be conflicted with a question that I think we have all asked and we would much rather avoid, the world would like us to avoid this too. The question is this, what's the point of it all in the end? Like, like, what's the point of it all in the end? If no matter how much success you achieve, no matter how much wealth you attain, no matter the fame, no matter the fortune, no matter the size, at the end, if you're just going to be on a list of deaths that are notable or maybe not. And it's not just for famous people that we likely don't know, but it's especially pertinent for the loved ones that we do know. Each of us has our own list. The number of people that are on that list, close, near, and dear to our own hearts and lives. And, and when news got out and it reached our hearts and our lives, there's a suddenness to it. It impacted us. We stopped in our tracks. And what's the point of it all if that's it? We just have a list until we become part of it? Now you might be thinking, well, this is just a great joyous start to an Easter sermon, Pastor. Way to go. Hold on for two reasons. Hang on for two reasons. Reason number one is, You have to ask the question, what's the point of it all? Because that's exactly where we find all of those people in the gospel account that first Easter morning. What's the point of it all when everything's going along just great? Swimmingly, in fact. And then Jesus is wrongfully captured, brutally tortured, and mercilessly killed on a cross via Roman crucifixion. And then all their hopes and dreams were sealed up in that tomb as it seemed like the rock, the stone that covered the entrance, was crushing all of their joy and every source of peace. Death has a way of doing that, blockading our hopes, barricading any source of peace, bombarding and even bouldering over whatever types of hopes and dreams we may have, and we all have them. But there's another reason why I bring that up. Not just so we're left with this question, which I believe we have all asked and still do ask. What's the point of it all? It's because God aims to give us an answer to that. 
an answer to every single time stamp and time frame. It must transcend those time stamps, in fact, and it must be a lot bigger than any sort of list that might be itemized, whether those deaths are notable or not, or they're just made up of unnotable people like me. At the end of the day, there has to be something bigger, and that's exactly what you and I not only need, it is what God promises and provides in Easter. My dear friends, you did not come here today to ask ominous questions without answers and to leave with giant thought bubbles of question marks over your heads, and that's it. You came here because you already know and want to be reminded of the exclamation point. And maybe some of you are here because maybe you got dragged along or you're a little curious about this too, but still the same is true for you, that you would leave here with an exclamation point of comfort and confidence instead of question marks and uncertainty. And so what you and I see is when God rolled, yes, most verifiably rolled away that stone, he uncovered the tomb and when Jesus got out every eternal blessing, not only reserved for eternity, but for us right here and now, it got out with him. And God today, what you and I are going to see is that God today, through his word, is going to uncover Easter realities that will never be rolled back. God uncovers Easter realities that will never be rolled back. I invite you to have Luke 24 open, the gospel reading you just heard. In order for us to experience and to understand these Easter realities, we probably should start at the top. The very first thing we should be asking, which is what those women were asking, what is going on here? That Jesus is not in this tomb? What can we make of all of this or is all of this a hoax? When those women were going to the tomb, they weren't going to the tomb looking for a living Jesus. They had all those spices with them. They were looking for a dead Jesus. And yet when they got there, they were filled not with certainty, not with exclamation points, but only question marks and uncertainty, a hopelessness. What what is going on here? Did this really happen? And I think they're not alone in asking that question. It doesn't take us long when we're exploring our own doubts, our own skepticism, or if we're actually talking to other people that people really ask, is is this true? This whole rising from the grave thing, is this legitimate or is this some idea or theory that Christians like to talk about and get loud about on a given Sunday in the spring? Well, in order to have an answer for that, there are several, by the way, countless evidences throughout all of the scriptures and even in history, and we're not going to cover all of them today. Sigh of relief. But several of them we are going to cover over the next several weeks, but there are two right smack dab in front of us that we cannot avoid. You could probably summarize them this way. The nature of the discovery and the nature of the narrative. First, the nature of the discovery. Here are these women, and they are looking. What are they looking for? The angel says, the living among the dead. They're looking for all of the wrong things, and what are they left with? With all of their looking, they are still lost. They're still lost. But that's where the nature of the discovery shines. See, they had to prepare all of these spices. Do you know why? In Jewish custom back then, the day began in the evening, so they would rest on the Sabbath. So when Jesus was dead on the cross, they were running out of time. They had to take him off the cross and put him into the tomb. There wasn't enough time to give him the proper burial with all the spices. So they took Saturday off, as was their Sabbath custom, Early Easter morning, they are now having spent a decent amount of money and a decent amount of time preparing these spices. They are not going to anoint a living person with spices. That's awkward. That's awkward in our day. That would be awkward in their day. 
They are looking for a dead Jesus. Notice also, you don't make note of the thing you weren't looking for, but here there is incredibly, incredible evidence on the fact that they weren't looking for Jesus, or they were looking for a dead Jesus, but the fact that they stumbled upon emptiness. No Jesus at all. Why would they make note of it? Same is true with Peter. Peter goes later after the women tell him and they don't believe it. He goes running and what is he looking for? He's still left looking and wondering, perplexed and lost. They're looking but lost. But there's a nature of discovery here. You see, they stumble upon this reality. They don't invent it, which is actually what a lot of people claim. You know that Christians, the disciples and those women, they invented this whole resurrection mumbo-jumbo just because it would fit their own agenda. Except that when you read this, you know, like reading the English language, that's not what they're looking for at all. They stumble upon a reality. There's a difference then between invented truth and discovered truth. You know, invented truth, you think of the caricature or the cartoon version of Einstein, where he's performing experiments and he kind of has an idea and then all of a sudden he gets to a certain point and what does he say? Eureka, I found it. He didn't discover it right away, but eventually he got there and there was an invented truth. He had an idea. That's totally different. Invented truth is totally different from discovered truth. Like the time I went to go find my lawnmower in the shed. I did find my lawnmower, which I was expecting. I also discovered a black snake curled up on top of my lawnmower. That I was not expecting to find. That was discovered truth. It was discovered truth that I later hid from my wife so that she would be able to live on the property still and it could still take care of the copperheads and the mice and things. But that's discovered truth. I wasn't planning for that. It's just like Christopher Columbus. When he discovered the new world, what did he call the inhabitants? Indians. Because he wasn't anticipating or expecting that. There's a total difference between discovered truth and invented truth. These are not inventors of a hoax. These are witnesses of a reality that they didn't expect, which means the nature of the discovery legitimizes this. It's true. Consider also the nature of the narrative. You and I know this. It takes two seconds with mainstream media or social media that we know, that they know, that we know, that they know, that we know, that people control the narrative. We know that people control the narrative. And when people control the narrative, even if it's in a conversation, what is the reason that people control the narrative? So they can humiliate themselves? No. So they can use it to their own advantage. Do you know who controls the narrative? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The Easter narrative, do you know who controls it? They have the largest control over anyone else living at that time. Who? The disciples. And yet as they're controlling the narrative, do they come across looking as macho heroes? We knew it. We knew it all along. We were just toying with you. We totally had our, our faith act together. Good thing Jesus had us as stellar disciples because we were never going to let him down. Is that the way they come across looking? They look like complete buffoons. Not to mention Jesus is the one who told them that he was going to rise from the grave and where are they? Nope, he's dead. They look like a joke. And then look at the way they treat the women. They look like jerks. The women show up and they say, hey, this is what we found. And what do they do? They dismiss the thing outright. And you, you know what the, Luke actually says? This is kind of PG versionized. It says, their words, they didn't believe because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Literally, it's harsher than that. It's, they sound like bumbling idiots. 
That's what the men are thinking. This is like a version of a bad case of mansplaining. Not a good idea when men decide in a moment of chauvinism to talk a woman who they think is hysterical down from whatever ledge they think. Guy's bad idea. That's what these guys are doing. Like, ladies, maybe you were smelling too many of those spices along the way. Um, maybe you got a little close to the tomb, you bumped your head. You're kind of a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs before there were Cocoa Puffs. This is just nuts. Like, they're totally belittling these women for this. And on account of it, look at how they come across. They look like buffoons. They look dumb. They look like jerks. And yet they control the narrative. Why would they allow this to still last to today, to today, for you and me to be able to see that these guys do not look like stellar heroes? Because they stumbled upon a reality that they weren't expecting, and it's a reality that forgives them despite their inadequacies, just as it does for you and me. The nature of the discovery, the nature of the narrative, all of this to say what? Is this really happening? The empty tomb, is it real? Absolutely. Jesus certifiably, verifiably rose from the dead, just as he said. There is no tomb with the body of Jesus. Not then, not now, never will be. There will never be some archaeologist who says, Eureka, I found it, Jesus' body. Oh, they've tried, but now where are they? Dismissed, because they had their own agenda. Jesus most certainly rose from the grave. And when he did, that stone was rolled away, and out of that tomb came every eternal blessing. Firstly, so that you and I would be looking in a world, but we would not be lost. Instead, we would have this discovered truth that gives us a life where we are truly found. My dear friends, you do not have a life that is aimless and hopeless. You are not left to a life like these women where you are looking for all of the wrong things in all the wrong places and they only end up looking for dead bodies. You are not left to live only to be added to some list. Maybe notable, maybe not. You are not left to that type of pointless existence. Jesus rose from the dead and he didn't just rise for himself. He rose for you so that you would have an answer in the face of death. So you would have an answer whether you're looking at notable deaths of 2022 or even notable deaths of people that are close to you, loved ones. Jesus rose rose from the dead for you. So it takes you from looking but lost to discovering the truth and a life where you are truly found. When Christians talk about this, we don't just say these words, we believe the fact behind the words. It goes like this. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And we're not joking about that indeed part. We even add the alleluia just to make sure you heard. We're not left looking and lost. We have this discovered truth, a life where we are found, and that will not end. But if you're anything like me, you wonder, what, what's that going to do for today and tomorrow in a, when I consider some of the fears that I have? That so doesn't do it all. For me, I need as much as God can give me, sinful as I am. According to my own weaknesses and my own doubts, I worry and fear for my kids, my wife, my family. What's this going to be like in the future? In your anxious moments, you probably are concerned as well. We don't actually live in a world that is anything but precarious. We don't live in times that are anything but uncertain. Some of you are smirking and elbowing each other because you know this full well. And even if you're not, you're living it. 
And so where does this, where does this lead us? What does this give to us right now? That's, that's exactly what those women and Peter had. Twice you see the word wondering. And this isn't wondering like, oh, wonder. This is like wondering, perplexed, anxiety type of filled question mark where you have no idea what's coming. What does this actually mean for me right now? That's where those women were and what happens? God sends his messengers and notice what these messengers don't do. They don't cause the sky to light up as bright as they are in order to shock these women into better understanding. They shine like lightning, but God did not cause them to shoot lightning out of their index fingers so as to zap them into faith and belief and understanding. Nor is this the greatest I told you moment of all time. Hey, no doubt, women, you should have kind of caught on earlier. That's not what happens. Where does the angel direct them? It's not to something new. It's actually to what they already had. The first words, remember what he told you. All of those promises that he had been telling you. And then he even quotes, they even quote Jesus. Remember when he said the Son of Man must be handed over, must suffer at the hand of sinners, die and on the third day rise from the grave. They point to the contents that they already had and it just so happens to be what you and I have. When we are wondering and sometimes we feel hopeless, God takes us from that to being certain and hope-filled. And where does he direct our eyes? Not to some shock value type of scenery, but to what we already have in his word. And you all have access to it. You all have it. I think about it this way. Let's say I took a two liter of Coke. I keep on saying Coke. We're in Carolina. I need to just convert over to Pepsi. Two liter of Pepsi. And you take the two liter of Pepsi and you shake it up. Kids, kids pay attention. Don't do this. Don't do this. No. Shake it up and then you uncover the cap. What's going to happen? It's going to, yeah, psh, some of you know very well what this is like. It's, it's going to go everywhere. So, so it is with God's word. All of the contents in that Bible, or excuse me, all of the contents in that bottle, they're already there. You didn't have to add anything to it. But Easter is what shakes the ground and it lets everyone see the contents of God's word for what they are. Jesus who pointed to the prophets of old, who pointed to Moses, who pointed to the Old Testament, who says everything is fulfilled in me. He is the one who took all of that validity with him to the tomb and rose from the grave. So unless, my friends, there's another guy that can do that and rise from the grave, we have no other options. And that's fine. Because that's what Jesus is for us. He is the one that takes us from hopeless to hope-filled in the certainty of his word. And notice what that gives you. I mean, this Easter's not even just like shaking up a two-liter. It's like taking a five-gallon bottle of Pepsi. And then before you shake it up, you uncover it, and you take a whole giant package of Mentos, and then cover it up, and then shake it, and then get far away. Kids really don't do that. <laughs> from experience, that's a bad idea. It's exploding. Easter causes all of the contents of God's promises to explode, not in a dangerous way, to explode throughout the world, even throughout history, so that it would reach us today. He's not, the angels don't give them something new. He points to the things that you already have, God's word which is right in front of you. And what do you see? Just in what the angels quote. What does this mean for us? What do we see? How about sin? The guilt that we carry around and not only ours but the sins of our loved ones? 
when we think that God's grace could never be big enough for me, when we think of those mistakes we would rather forget, we think about the nights we wish we rather could go back and relive, whatever it is, Jesus took sin with him and he left it dead in the grave as he triumphed over it to prove that you're forgiven. You can take the molehill of your guilt and it will never compare to the bigger than Mount Everest size of God's grace for you. The resurrection proves it. You can even take suffering. None of us wants to think about becoming part of one of those lists, notable or not, in any year. The suffering that accompanies it. And yet, what do we see? The Son of Man must do these things. It was all part of God's plan. In other words, Jesus uses suffering like a pawn on the game board in order to accomplish the greatest thing, our salvation. So if his suffering was that meaningful for you, then can you and I really think that any ounce of suffering in this life is meaningless? Instead, whenever you face trial, whenever you face suffering of any kind, your Savior breathes purpose through it to better prepare you for eternity. The resurrection does not happen through a field full of daisies and cupcakes and bunnies. You know, the modern-day American Easter setting. Easter happens on account of suffering, death, and resurrection. And since it meant what it meant for Jesus and we follow him, then our, even our suffering has meaning. And what about death? When the time comes when news of you reaches my ears or of me reaches yours, we're not relegated to some list and that's it. Because not even death can touch us. It is less than a nap according to those who are in Christ and will live forever with him. According to God's own word, he takes us from wondering and yet hopeless to certain and hope-filled. The last couple years have been quite interesting. If you, like me, have taken a step back and watched all of the people reset, and by watching people, this isn't meant to creep you out, but like watching you reset, people that I care about. And we've all been doing it, right? Like you think about just the ways that we used to bump into each other or see each other, the things that were going on with life that, that used to be happening years ago, but then things changed. And some of those things are great. Like some of you actually learned to get along with your family. You kind of had to when you were locked in your house for a month or so. <laughs> or you just learned to go on really long walks. But let's defer and say that you really learned to get along and appreciate your husband and wife, husband or wife a little bit better. And your kids. Some of those things are good. Uh, another thing is that we learn to appreciate all of the things that maybe we took for granted like this. Like I, I can't tell you, you might find this weird that I can stand up here and almost get choked up with just by looking at this, just by looking at and seeing you here. Something that maybe could have been taken for granted. But are all the changes as we reset good? One author put it this way, that as we see this great resignation, this great reset, people moving, getting new jobs, uh, doing new, jo doing new uh, hobbies, what, what have you, he put it this way, people have get, been given a runway to run after a whole new set of things, but they can't run after all of the things. He was a Christian is a Christian author for that matter, and I think that's quite applicable to our society today. We can go running like Peter to the tomb. We can go running like Peter to all sorts of things. The question we have to ask ourselves is whatever you are running towards and you have been resetting your life, maybe still are, 
you have an opportunity to ask yourself, what are you running towards? And what is it going to give you in the, in the end? There's that question again. What is it all worth in the end? You're running for the things that give you momentary pleasure and temporary joy, a time of peace. But then what? Easter's not only the time for joy and smiles, bacon, sausage, and Easter lilies, although those are all great. Easter is also a time for us to take the hardest questions that we know, the hardest questions we can muster up, and to let those things fall dead underneath the stone that was rolled away. Because when the stone was rolled away, we are given another new reality. A reality where we're given feet like Peter, not to run to confusion, not to run to things that, die, that go to die, but to run to the only place where we find life. And my friends, that is in your Savior's word of promise to you. It will never fail you. It will never let you down. Every moment you are in God's word, every second you are breathing deeply of what the Spirit says to you in God's word, you are growing in your faith and he's fitting your feet with readiness so you're prepared not only for what comes today and tomorrow, but for eternity. And that is another reality that God promises to bring to you in Easter. In fact, he's already provided it. So no matter what it is in life, no matter what it is that you face, God takes us from looking and lost to discovering a life where we're found. Takes us from wondering and hopeless to certain and hope-filled. He takes us from running aimlessly at all of the things that end up in the grave to running with readiness and preparation with God's word and ready for eternity. And since God has given all of these eternal realities to you and Jesus is never going in that grave, then my friends, all of these blessings will never, ever be rolled back. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.